This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. We haven't had a chance to meet yet. My name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and I am so excited to share this morning with you. I've been gone on vacation for the past two weeks in Illinois visiting my wife's family. We had a great time, a lot of fun with relatives. We had some exciting moments. We had a tornado touchdown about 10 miles from the house we were staying at. So I did what every Californian would do when the tornado warning started going off. I, I ran outside, you know, because I wanted to see if there were women riding bikes around the tornado. So, uh, and my dad called from California because he knew about it. He said, whatever you do, don't run outside. I said, I won't, I won't run outside. I'm already outside. So, uh, but we were fine, you know. Thanks to everybody who prayed for us. You saw that on Facebook. We were good. I, I spent most of the time watching the Women's World Cup game while the tornado passed right past us. So it was a very fun time. But boy, every time I'm away for a few weeks, it just reminds me how much I love our community. And I'm so excited to be back here with you today. Uh, a couple of things to help you on this journey. One would be worth noting if if you come to New Life a lot, you'll notice that uh, I'm not dressed like normal. I'm a little dressed up today. No, you don't need to clap about that. We don't need to clap about that. I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't remember the last time I tucked a shirt in unless it was like a wedding. So, but today's a special day for us. We have the privilege of uh, ordaining one of my good friends and ministry partners, Angela Lamb, at one o'clock today. So it's her ordination, which is so fun. So I thought, why not get dressed up? Plus, my wife got me some Father's Day shoes, so it seemed like an appropriate thing to do. Uh, and I just want to say welcome if you're new with us today. Uh, a couple of things will help us get on the same page, because whether it's your first time today or your hundredth time today, we're all here together. There's no in-group and out-group. We're all on the same journey. And a few things to help us make sure we start off on the journey together are inside this program. So you'll want to grab it and open it up and grab this Start Here card. This is our connection card. It helps us stay connected to you. It helps you stay connected to us and the things we're doing in our church, in our city, and around the world. And we would just love to to partner with you in any way we can. Uh, When that time comes that you're ready to take a next step in your faith and connect with God in a deeper way, boy, we want to be the church that helps you do that. And this connection card just helps us connect with you when you're ready for that. So go ahead and get that filled out. And if I've earned your trust over the course of the next 40 minutes or so, some baskets will be passed at the end of our time together. You can just drop this card in the basket. The other thing you're going to want are our teaching notes. They've got the Bible story we're looking at. They've got some fill in the blanks so that you can take this home. You can think about it because my hope would be that this would be the launching point for a week's worth of discussion and thinking deeply about what it looks like to engage with life to its fullest. So go ahead and get that ready as well. And while you're getting all of that filled out, I just need to know if there's anybody who can sympathize with me. So I'm going to need you to raise your hand in a second if this is true about you, and I promise I won't call on you. Uh, but is there anybody in this room besides me who just really suffers from allergies? Do we have any people who suffer from... Oh, it's the, someone sniffed just to let me know that they were with me. Allergies are the worst, aren't they? I love Sonoma County, but boy, when those allergies hit, it can get really bad. And usually for me, I don't know about, about you, but for me, three or four days a year, usually on my weekend... It's like the worst of the year, and it gets so bad that I'm literally trapped inside my house. If someone opens up the window or opens the door, these invisible uh, allergens come in, and my nose is running, I'm coughing, I'm sneezing, my eyes are watering, so I literally have to keep every door and window shut, and I usually sit there with something over my face. 
And the worst part about those days where I'm trapped inside my house is that we have a sliding glass door that looks into our backyard, and I can see my six-year-old and my four-year-old, Maddie and Landon, I can see them playing outside, and I so badly want to go and play with them. I have, I have dreams about our day. It's the weekend. I have things I want to do with our kids, and yet I feel trapped because these invisible boundaries have locked me in from going to the place and doing the thing that I really want to do. And what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about feeling trapped. Because feeling trapped is probably the worst feeling that we can have. And, and how many of you have ever felt trapped in your life? Like you, you know where you want to go with your marriage, but you feel trapped to be able to get there. Or you know what you want to do to raise your kids, but you feel trapped by outside influences, invisible influences to get to where you want to go. Maybe you know what you want to do with your finances, but you feel trapped to actually move from where you are to where you want to be. Or maybe it's your business. You have a vision for your business. You know where you want it to go, but you feel trapped to get there. Feeling trapped is one of the worst feelings in the world. And we're in this series that we're calling Unwavering. And Unwavering is talking all about leadership. And when I say leadership, all I mean is this. I'm talking about influence. John Maxwell, who's a great leader, he says that leadership equals influence. And as I look around this room, I see a couple hundred people who are influencers. You influence your spouse or your kids. Maybe, maybe you influence someone on the PTA or a civic organization. You influence people in class. You influence people who you work with or who you work for. You influence people that work for you. We are all influencers, which means we're all leaders. And God's great desire for us is that we would be great influencers, that we would, we would influence people in a way that, that transforms us in the process to becoming the fullness of who we were created to be, and that we would influence others in a way that empowers them to experience the life they were created to live. That's what leadership is. And so we're looking at this whole series out of the book of Nehemiah, which is a, a book in the Old Testament of the Bible, and it, it forms around uh, an individual named Nehemiah, who in my opinion is one of, if not the greatest leader in all of ancient recorded history. You could stack him up to any of the ancient leaders, and he would rank as one of the top. And so what we're doing is we're looking at his life, and we're asking this question, what would it look like to be great in our leadership so that it would transform us in the process and empower the people that we lead? And here's Nehemiah's backstory. Maybe you've been gone for a few weeks, or it's your first time here. Maybe you were on vacation like me. Nehemiah started out as uh, like a secret service agent to the most powerful man in the ancient world. And he was working under this king, and partway through his job, he sensed a nudge from God or a call from God to go back to his home city of Jerusalem and rebuild this ancient wall that surrounded the city. And the wall represented the protection of the city, uh, the civic pride for the city. When the wall was destroyed, people could raid from outside, take the crops, uh, abuse the people. They could, they could rape, they could pillage, they could destroy. All sorts of bad things were happening in Jerusalem because there was no wall. And Nehemiah got a prompting to go back and to influence or lead the people to do something in just a few months, rebuilding this wall that had not been able to be done in over a hundred years. And so Nehemiah does. He goes back and he shows up ready to work. And and we could spend a whole week talking about this, but isn't it true that when we influence people, we got to show up every day ready to work? Moms, you can't say to your kids, hey kids, you know what? I'm having a bad day today. So just whatever I say, don't let it influence you. 
right? We influence wherever we go. So we got to show up ready to work. You can't go to, to work on Monday and say, well, I'm just having a case of the Mondays. Don't let me influence you. No, we got to show up ready to work. And Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem and he is ready to work. And he goes out, he scouts out the wall, he sees what needs to be done, he casts a compelling vision for the people, and then he shows them how to implement the vision, how to get from where they are to where they need to go. He deals with conflict, internal and external. And if any of that seems appealing to you, go to our website, newlifepetaluma.org, and you can listen to all the podcasts because we've been touching on this throughout this entire series. But as we round the corner today, we're in our last two weeks of the series, I want to talk about something that just impressed me about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an incredible leader, and Nehemiah never seems to get trapped or taken away from his vision. So Nehemiah is leading this wall-building project, and right in the midst of it, these enemies come. These three guys we're going to hear about, their names are Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And I know what you're thinking if you're pregnant right now. i got to write those names down. You're right. Those are really good names, and they could go either gender. So just, you're welcome. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They lead outside people outside of Jerusalem, and they know as long as the walls are down, they can lead their people in, they can raid, they can steal. It's to their benefit for the wall to be down. But they see Nehemiah rebuilding the wall, and they know once the wall goes up, their prophets go down. And so they spend their time trying to get Nehemiah trapped and away from his vision of what he knows needs to be done. But Nehemiah is a great leader, and he never allows himself to get trapped. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because one of the worst feelings in the world is to know where you want to go in life, but feel trapped in how to get there. So we'll pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Nehemiah is speaking in this, and he says, when it, was re- when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, there were lots of enemies to the vision to rebuild the wall. When it became known to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although that at that time, I still hadn't set up the doors of the gates, which I love his authenticity here. A lot of leaders, we try to project ourselves, promote ourselves, talk about all of our strengths. He says, you know what? We've done a lot of good stuff, but we still have some things to do. He's honest about where he is, and that's just a great thing in leadership. He says, we still hadn't got the gates up, but verse 2, Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me. Here's what they said. They said, come, let us get together at Shepherim on the plain of Ono. Oh, Oh no. But they were planning to harm me. This is the subtext. He says they were going to they were going to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, and I want you to underline this next line because this is what we're going to talk about. He said, "I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you?" But they sent messengers four more times in the same manner trying to get me off my vision, trying to to trap me in outside things. But I answered them the same way every single time. See, Nehemiah had a vision. He knew where he wanted to go. He wanted to rebuild the wall to protect the people, to rebuild their civic pride. And he had a plan. He knew how to get from here to there. He had financing. He had person power. He'd gathered the families and given them each unique roles to rebuild the wall. And we've talked a lot in this series about vision, and about implementation, but I want to just briefly kind of touch base so we're all on the same page. When I talk about vision, what we're saying is vision's just a preferred picture of the future. 
And we all have vision, whether it's written down or on the forefront of our mind or maybe just somewhere in the recesses. We all have a preferred picture of our future. We all know what we want our marriage to look like in five years or 10 years when the kids leave for college. We know what we want our relationship with our spouse to look like. That's, that's our, our vision, our preferred picture of the future. We all know what we want our families to look like. We all know what we want our finances to look like in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years. That's a vision. It's a preferred picture of the future. We all know what we want our, our businesses to look like. We have goals and plans. We have a vision for the future. And Nehemiah had a vision. And we also talked about how he implemented his vision. And when I say implementation, it's simply this. It's, it's breaking down that vision into workable steps. And if you want to know more about that, go back a few weeks in the series. And we talked all about casting vision and implementing vision, breaking it down into workable steps. He had a vision. He had a plan. And here's the thing. He had enemies to his vision. His enemies took the form of three guys who were trying to get him off track from his vision. They were trying to trap him in other things so he could not do what God had put him on this earth to do. And he knew that if he came down from the wall, the building project would stop and it would hurt the people that he was leading. And he could have allowed himself to get trapped in that moment. See, he was the leader of the people in Jerusalem at that time. These were the leaders of neighboring tribes who had been at warring factions for quite a while. And when one leader says to another leader, whether it's a global leader or a local leader, we need to get together and talk about a truce, part of us would think, well, he has to go there right now. And he'd be trapped with these guys. He says, I'm doing a great work. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should I come down to meet with you and have the work stop. And when it comes to leading, whether you're leading at work, in your marriage, or in your families, here's what I need us to know. We need to realize that we are doing a great and mighty work. Your marriage is a great work. Think about this. Let's just zoom out for a second. Take yourself out of the picture. Marriage is designed so that we can partner with God to help our spouse encounter God in a very real way in their lives. That's a great work. That's something worth giving our lives to. Marriage is designed so that we could learn humility, service, uh, forgiveness, leadership. Well, that's that's a great work, and we could give our lives to something like that. Marriage is about learning that commitment over a lifetime is better than commitment for a few years. That's a great work. And oftentimes we think about marriage as just as this, this thing that we do, but marriage, boy, it's a great work. Your family is a great work. God has given us the opportunity, parents, to help our kids encounter him, to know that God is real and that he loves them and ha- wants to have a relationship with them. That's, that's a great work. That's worth giving our lives to. That's worth getting up every morning and saying yes to. Dads, Do you realize that God has given us the opportunity to show our kids what their heavenly father is like by the way their earthly father responds to his wife and to his kids and to his stress and to his work? Dads, that's a great work that we've been called to. How about in business? You have a vision for your company. That's a great work. And you have employees if you're a business leader. Or you have coworkers, if you are a part of a business, who are depending on you to do your job so that them and their families can maintain their livelihood. Your business is a great work. And here's why I need us to know that we're doing a great work. 
Because just like Nehemiah had enemies to his great work, you and I have enemies to our great work. And they don't usually have names, and they're not evil warlords. They take the form of really good opportunities. The enemies of our vision for our family, for our finances, for our business, more often than not, take the form of good opportunities. And here's the tension that every one of us lives in. I just happen to have the microphone, but I have the same tension you do. Boy, we wear a lot of leadership hats. Coworker, spouse, business leader, PTA, coach, athlete. We wear a lot of different leadership hats. And the better we are at leading, the more opportunities come our way to lead. It's just human nature. And here's what good leaders do. And, and this is what causes good leaders to get trapped in life. Good leaders seize every opportunity without counting the cost. When I was a young preacher, I had an older pastor say to me, boy, if you want, you're, he said, you're a good communicator. If you want to become a great communicator, take advantage of every single preaching opportunity that comes your way. On the outside, that looks like good advice. And as I began to grow in my communication, more opportunities came my way. But I realized if I said yes to every single opportunity, I would not be able to invest in this community the way that I was supposed to. And these good opportunities would trap me from doing the great thing God's called me to, which is to lead our church in this season of our church's life. See, leaders, good leaders, take advantage of every opportunity. But great leaders run every opportunity through the filter of our vision. And there's a difference there. And that's why good leaders end up burned out and frustrated and alienated and divorced. Because they said yes to every opportunity without counting the cost. But great leaders, they walk forward in their vision and they know what they're saying yes to and they know what they're saying no to. Nehemiah was a great leader because he knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to rebuild the wall and he counted the cost when he was invited to go speak with these guys. And he said, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should this great work stop while I go and be with you? Now, I thought it'd be fun, and you know me well enough to know that I like to poke a little bit. Uh, I thought it'd be fun if we just kind of took this idea of running everything through our vision and kind of put it into the practical world, because it's, it's interesting when it's out here, but it's life-changing when it comes here. So I want your permission to poke at us a little bit. Is that okay? You have to say yes, because I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Here's my promise. I will, I will be an equal opportunity offender. I'll try to offend everybody, okay, at some point in this message. Does that seem fair? Equal, all right, amen. Let's talk about home for a few minutes. Can we talk about our home? Because that really brings it home, doesn't it? Talking about, thank you. <laughs> I have missed you guys so much <laughs> while I was gone. Because you put up with those stupid jokes. That just makes my heart so happy. If you come to Angela's ordination, I've got one that I'm so excited to share, but you'll have to come <laughs> at one o'clock. It's going to be awesome. Here are a few things I believe we all want for our kids, for our home. And if you do, just, just hear me out. I think we all want our kids to love each other. You say that's fair? Yeah. We all want our kids to love us. And here, here's what that could look like. When they grow up and don't have to spend time with us, we would like them to want to spend time with us right? When we're not paying the bills anymore, when we aren't giving them the car payment, when we aren't putting a roof over the head, we'd like them to want to come back. We want our kids to love each other and love us. And I believe we want our kids to love God from an early age for two reasons. Either we were raised knowing and loving God, and we know how good it is 
to walk in relationship with God from a very young age, or we weren't raised knowing and loving God, and we know about the needless heartache and pain and regret that we could have been spared had we walked with God from an early age. So whatever our experience is, the majority of us would like our kids to know and love God, to love us, to love each other, and to love God. Does that seem like a pretty good vision for our family? Love each other, love us, love God. We'll just, let's assume that is a pretty good vision. So what does it look like to run every opportunity through the filter of that vision, wanting our kids to love each other, love us, love God? Well, let's take a few opportunities. This first opportunity is one that I never actually had. My parents, I spared them from having to make this decision. Uh, Let's talk about honors classes. Okay, I was never smart enough for honors classes, so it didn't really matter. My daughter, who's six, is very smart. She's already smarter at six than I was at about 20, so she will probably have this opportunity. I spared my parents this decision. But if your kid is smart, your kid's probably going to have the opportunity to be in honors classes. And here's what I want to ask. Before we say yes to that or say no to that, just run it through the the filter of our vision for our kids, that they would want to spend time with us, that they would love each other, love their siblings, and want to spend time together. Now, you know your kids. I I don't know your kid as well as you know your kid. For some kids, honors classes are great, but for others, it leaves them totally stressed out. They're anxious all the time. They're doing homework till all hours of the night. They're studying, and it's taking them away from any sort of family time they could have because they're always trying to get their grades, and they're always trying to do their thing. Now, I want to ask you, if your vision is for your kids to spend time with each other and to love each other and to love you, and now they're over here totally stressed out and anxious all the time, is it worth saying yes to honors classes? Again, I'm not telling you to do it or not to do it, but what if we ran every opportunity through the filter of our vision for our kids? For some of our kids, it's a great thing. It's a great thing, but for some of our kids, maybe it's, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not worth getting a few credits towards college or saving a few thousand dollars if it's going it's to destroy them for four years and destroy the bond that we could have in those last crucial years together. Again, I'm just poking a little bit because uh, I love us, because I love us. Here's one that I did have to deal with. I was pretty good at soccer as a kid. Uh, and so I was asked at an early age to be on a traveling team, and I loved playing soccer. I played through high school. In fact, uh, here's a little confession. I still have my high school soccer bag. It's about 18 years old, and true story, when I go on, um, on flights, I still pack in my high school soccer bag. How embarrassing is that? It's got a big number 18 on the side. It says Glendora High School. It's so lame. My wife's super embarrassed, which is why I do it, Okay. <laughs> I love soccer. I love everything about soccer. Before I ruptured my Achilles, I was playing soccer. And in fact, if you remember, I I ruptured it a few years ago playing soccer. That's how much I love soccer. But I want to ask us, if our vision is that our our kids, that our kids would would love us, that we'd spend time together as a family, and that they would love God, and your kids get invited to play on a traveling team or to play on a, a sports team that plays all weekend long, Saturday and Sunday, before we say yes to that, could we just run it through the filter of our vision? And if saying yes to this team is going to take our kids away from their family on the weekend when they actually have time to spend together so that they're never with their family, and if saying yes to this sports team is going to take them away from church, one of the greatest places for them to connect with God from an early age, is it worth it to say yes? And again, I'm not telling you it is or it isn't. If your vision is for your kid to be the next Ronaldo, then yes, say yes to soccer. Only like two of you know who Ronaldo is. That is so sad. All right, we're going to get some World Cup on these screens next time it comes around. But here's what I would say, mom and dad, because listen, my daughter's starting 
soccer this year. I'm going to be her coach because I get to pick the practice schedule and the game schedule as the coach, which is awesome. And I, I get to coach my daughter, which is going to be super sweet. I even have a shirt that says Coach Kevin uh, that will probably embarrass her, but I'm going to wear it anyway. But let's just talk, guys. Let's just talk. In 20 years, if every weekend or two, three, four weekends a month, if every weekend we're pulling our kids out of church to do sports, to do extracurricular, do this and that, should we be surprised when they go to college and they don't go to church and don't engage with God? Should we be surprised about that? No, because we've influenced them that sports is more important than connecting with God. And again, it's your choice based on the vision you want to have for your kids. But when it comes to my family, I want my kids to know and love God from an early age, and I want us to have time together, which is why we're only saying yes to certain things, because we've run everything through the filter of that vision. Have, have, I, have I offended everyone substantially uh, enough? Made us a little uncomfortable. I hope so, because this is what we're supposed to do at church. We're supposed to challenge each other to think deeply about life and to ask questions that we wouldn't normally ask so life doesn't just pass us by. I'm not telling you do it or don't do it. I loved playing soccer. Loved it. I'm just asking us, families, to run every opportunity through the filter of our vision and then say yes or no based on that. How about if you're a business leader? Every business leader in here knows this simple truth. There is more to do than there is time to do it. Every business leader knows that. And it traps so many of us in our businesses because we have a vision for where we want to go with our business, but we find ourselves working in the organization to get stuff done all the time instead of working on the organization to get us where we want to go. Can I get an amen from some business leaders in the house? I know this is a church, and, and I love that we're a church in the community aspect, but the truth is this is also an organization that I'm the point leader for that serves about 600 people every week. This is an organization as well as just an incredible place to connect with God. And so I know, business leaders, how you feel because I am in this right now myself. There's always more to do than there is time to do it. And we find ourselves working in the business instead of on the business, vision casting and training. Here's how you know this is true. Because when business opportunities come up to develop as a leader, here's what you say to yourself. I'd love to go to that thing, but I just can't right now. There's too much to do. Here's a great example. We're hosting something called the Global Leadership Summit that's coming up in August. It is the largest leadership conference in the world with some of the best speakers from around the world, and we're going to be a video site for it. It's going to be incredible. And I know some of us who are business leaders have been thinking to ourselves, boy, I would love to go to the Global Leadership Summit, but I just can't right now. There's too much to do inside the organization. Here's what you're saying. I am trapped. But what's your vision for your business? I'm guessing your vision is that that you would become a great leader who could lead your business to great places. If you want to be a great leader, you need to train yourself before you can serve the people that you lead. So I would say this, run every opportunity, including Global Leadership Summit, through the filter of your vision. And then make the decision based on that answer. One of the things that I love to do in our church is I get to be the, the key person that cast vision for our church. So I, I pray, and I have a, a leadership team around me. We pray, we try to sense God's vision for us, and then we go in the direction of that vision. And I run every opportunity through the filter of our vision for the church. And here's our vision for the church. We want to be a church that people who don't go to church want to go to our church. We want to be a church that unchurched people love. I've said this before. We want to be a church that does anything short of sinning to reach our community. 
We want to be the kind of church that breaks down barriers to help people encounter God. That's the kind of church we want to be. So every opportunity that comes on my plate, on my desk, I run it through the filter of our vision, which means I say no to certain things and yes to certain things. And it means that I get to then take our staff team and make sure we get the right people on the right place in the bus to achieve our vision. And one of my favorite things to do is to sense what God's doing in our various pastoral staff and and free them up to do the ministry that God has called them to do. For example, I am a horrible worship leader. You probably don't know that because I would never lead worship here because I can tell you that's the quickest way to shrink a church, have me lead worship. You think I stand in the back because I want to shake your hand and hug you. I stand in the back so you can't hear me sing. And I love you. That was a joke. I do love you. I do. And I like to build my immune system during cold and flu season. You know who's a great worship leader? Pastor Justin. He's so good, isn't he? He doesn't hear it enough. Can we just give it up for Justin? He's in the back, but don't look at him. He'll get embarrassed. He'll hide. He's so good. He's so good. You know what I'm not so great at? I'm not so great at pastoral counseling either. Uh, If you've sat down with me, here's what happens. I listen for about five minutes, and then I write you a new life note with a fill in the blank and say, just do this. You'll be fine, right? Because I figure I I probably know what you need to do anyway, because we all have about six major issues. And if we fix those six issues, we're probably doing pretty good. Um, I'm not a great pastoral counselor, but you know who is a great pastoral counselor? Pastor Ron. He's really good at it. He's got this like, like sage, wise, fatherly advice thing going on. Anybody who sat with Ron knows what I'm talking about. And so I love freeing him up to do the things he's called by God to do. Jake, he's a great student pastor. Not me so much. Not quite patient enough for 12 and 13-year-olds. I love you guys to death. Just not any good at being your pastor. Jake is a great student pastor. You know who's one of the best pastors I've ever seen at taking a big vision and getting the right people set up to fulfill that vision? Pastor Angela. She's one of the best at it. If you've worked in one of Angela's ministries, you've seen her take this big dream, this big vision, break it down, and empower you to reach your full potential to get it done. And so I've been praying with our spiritual stewards, which is our senior leadership team, for a few months now about the right way to leverage Pastor Angela in our church to lead our church. And I'm so excited. I I said on Facebook last week, I'm going to announce two big things. I'm so excited. This is one of them. So if you tuned out, now it's time to tune back in. (laughs) Starting in July, which is like, you know, two days from now, starting in July, Angela is going to become New Life's executive pastor. And that's really exciting. You can clap and they'll tell you what it means. Yeah. By the way, uh, since I'm embarrassing everyone, Angela, why don't you stand up so they can see who I'm talking about? Just stand up so they can see you. Here's what an executive pastor does. They take my big, crazy vision, this 30,000-foot view, and they work with our pastoral staff to reach their full pastoral potential to execute that vision. That's what an executive pastor does, and she's so good at it. Our staff team's excited about it. Our senior leadership team is excited about it. She's already started working. She's got a folder this thick of stuff she wants to do to help us reach our full potential, and I'm so excited that Angela's going to become our executive pastor. She was made for this, and our church is going to do great things because of this change for her. But it raises a question for us. Well, if she's the new executive pastor. Who's our life group's pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. I've got more exciting information for you. For the last four years, and I can't find this person, but I hope they're in here because I'm going to make them stand up. Oh, they are. Good. I don't want to give away where they are. Um, So for the last four years, we've been raising up someone inside our church to become the life group's pastor. This person 
sensed a call from God on their life a number of years ago to go into pastoral ministry. We've been training and equipping this person, and this person's been leading, uh, growing in the life group's ministry and leading, and this person is ready to be unleashed in the life group's ministry to be the life group's pastor. So I'm so excited that in July, which is in like two days, in July, Elise Paulino is going to become our life group's pastor, which I'm so excited about. (laughs) Elise is in the very back, so let's embarrass her and take a look. That's Elise. See, leadership, leadership and influence is all about taking our vision for where we want to go and then running everything through the filter of our vision because one of the worst things in life is to feel trapped. No one, none of us likes to feel trapped. We don't want to feel trapped in our marriage, trapped because of our finances, trapped in our parenting, trapped in our leadership. None of us wants to feel trapped. And what I want us to do is take a page out of Nehemiah's book and say, I'm going to choose not to feel trapped anymore because I'm going to run everything through the vision of the great work that I'm doing. Because friends, you are doing a great work, a great work. Your marriage, your parenting, your friendships, the clubs and groups you're associated with, your business, you're doing a great work. And you owe it to yourself to run every opportunity through the filter of your vision for the great work that you're doing. And then say yes to the things that fit in that and say no to the things that don't. And if we do that, we won't end up burned out and frustrated and mediocre in life. We'll be able to do things like Nehemiah did that are great and mighty things. And I want to tell you this as we close our time together. You are not alone on this journey. This is a daunting task. Marriage, parenting, financing, life. Are you kidding me? No one told us how daunting life was. Now we became grown-ups. It's like, when did this happen? I honestly look at my wife sometimes and say, when did this happen? We're the grown-ups now. She said, I know. Well, she says, I am. I said, I know. (laughs) But you were never meant to do life alone. You were meant to do life in partnership with a God who loves you, who we're told is like a perfect, powerful, loving, heavenly Father who wants to walk with you in life, who wants to, to encourage you, to empower you to live the life you were created to live, who wants to nudge you in the right directions when you feel lost and alone. You were created to live in life with a God who promises to never leave you or forsake you even when you're making the tough decisions of being a leader. And if you're here today and you're not walking in a relationship with that God, can I I tell you you're not walking in a relationship with the God of the Bible? Because that is the God of the Bible this all-loving, all-powerful, perfect plan for your life, knows how he wants to lead you, wants to nudge you and guide you and partner with you. That's the God of the Bible. And right now, I want to give you a chance, if you've never entered into a relationship with God, to make that decision. Because here's the truth about God. As much as God wants to have a relationship with us, we are actually separated from God because of something that the Bible calls sin. And a working definition of sin is simply the things that you and I dwell on in our minds or that we say or that we do that hurt us, that hurt the people we love the most in this world, and ultimately that separate us from a perfect God. That's sin. And I don't have to tell you what sin is because you've laid in bed at night and you thought to yourself, why did I do that? That hurt me and it hurt the people I loved. And if you believed in God, you knew that that had separated you from God. You and I all know what sin is. Here's the great news of God. God left heaven and came to earth in Jesus Christ. He was fully God and fully man, and he gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could have our sin forgiven. 
and so that we could come back into a relationship with God because we do not have to walk through life alone. God wants to walk with us. And if you've never experienced God's forgiveness and his love for you and his partnership with you, I'm gonna pray right now and I'm gonna give you a chance to whisper a prayer of commitment to God where you would say to God, God, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I want to have a relationship with you. And here's the thing. God promises to answer that prayer and to partner with you and to never leave you on this journey of life. And if you're ready to say yes to him, you can do that right now. Let's close our eyes and let's close in prayer. If you're ready to make a commitment to start this journey with God, you can repeat these simple words after me and God promises he will hear and respond to your honest prayers this morning. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and I believe that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin and I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward, even when I transition into eternity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.